0: Hi, I'm Dan Pramack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Friday, July 24th. Tensions between the U.S. and China are up, stocks are down, and we're focused on if getting a coronavirus vaccine in 2020 is realistic. Americans seem to be resigning themselves to the idea that life will not get back to normal until we have an approved and widely distributed vaccine for COVID-19. The question, then, is when that will be. Here's what President Trump had to say about it earlier this month.
1: We are on track to produce a vaccine in record time and very, very soon. It's going to be announced, I believe, very, very soon.
0: Here's Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin this past Monday. We're going to make sure that we have a vaccine by the end of the year for emergency use. Here's the reality. We just don't know. We can't know. Not only because we've never tried to ramp up vaccine development so quickly before, but also because only two vaccine candidates are moving into phase three clinical trials right now, which means we are still months away, at best, from anything conclusive about efficacy or safety. Last week, we discussed the positive data disclosed by Moderna, which has the vaccine furthest along, but that came with a caveat that the vaccine hadn't yet been tested on anyone over 55 years of age. The bottom line? Optimism may be the only way for us to get through this pandemic without losing our collective sanity, but it can't be what we use as the foundation for future economic or educational planning. Let's go deeper on this with Tom Frieden, former director of the CDC under President Obama. We're joined now by Tom Frieden, former CDC director, current president and CEO of Resolve to Save Lives. So, Tom, you know, we as a country seem to set up expectations that by August we'd have gotten this virus enough under control that people could go back to work, schools would reopen. That didn't happen. Do you see parallels between that and now what we're kind of getting from D.C., particularly in terms of this idea that we will have a vaccine by year end?
1: I think what we have to get past is the idea that there is one thing that's going to make COVID go away, and there are a lot of hurdles to get over before we actually have a vaccine available, proven to be effective, demonstrated to be safe, and widely used.
0: When you say there are lots of hurdles, are you suggesting that the hurdles are more on the manufacturing distribution side, or you think even getting to FDA approval, say for emergency use, which is what Mnuchin talked about Monday, frontline workers, people in the worst cases? There's a
1: whole range of challenges. First and foremost is proving safety and efficacy. We have to know, does it work, how well, for whom, for how long, and is it safe, and We're particularly concerned about safety because some of the adverse outcomes from COVID are immune-regulated, and that raises the theoretical concern that something like the Kawasaki-like illness that you're seeing in rare instances of childhood illness could be a rare adverse event of vaccination. And I think we have to be 100% open with people that this is a potential risk that we have to assess. Not because we think that's a problem, not because we are certain that's going to be a problem, but because with vaccines, it's essential that we fully communicate and over communicate. There's already too much suspicion and hesitancy about vaccines. And way to address that is to just say it like it is and be sure that we're saying what we're doing, when we're doing it, what we're learning, when we're learning it. This is the first time we've had an anti-vaccine movement before we've had the vaccine.
0: Let me ask on the safety thing. Let's make a hypothetical that there is a vaccine that is available at least in limited, some limited capacity, say by February or by March. Best case scenario, you would have six months of safety data at that point. What's the timeline whereby you can at least have some confidence in, quote, long-term safety? I
1: think the timeline is in some ways less important than the number of people who've been vaccinated. Even in phase three trials, you're talking about thousands of vaccinees. But in implementation, you're talking about millions or tens of millions. And with that, you may see adverse events, either possible or actual, that you would not see in a smaller number of studies. But I think we have to step back and say, yes, absolutely. It's encouraging. I'm cautiously optimistic. We have, over the past few weeks, growing information that there's a good immune response, at least among some people, at least for some amount of time, to natural infections. And we have several different vaccine candidates showing promising results in phase one, phase two trials. So I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll get a vaccine that works. Furthermore, because there's so much money being put into it and because our technology is better, I think it's possible that we'll be able to produce large numbers. But a lot can go wrong in that production process.
0: Tom, you used to run the CDC, not the FDA. But I know that there are concerns by some people, call them kind of never Trumpers, I guess is probably the best way to put it, that if a vaccine gets approved before November by the FDA, that that could potentially be because of political influence, that there's a vaccine getting adopted in time for the election. Is that, from your perspective, a realistic possibility, that it would be political considerations, not science considerations? I think
1: it's certainly a risk. At this point, you have to look at everything coming out of the administration and ask the question is this an unvarnished scientific opinion or not? And that's one of the reasons we need to see all of the data when it's presented. And one of the things that I will be watching very closely is the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices or ACIP. ACIP is the most important body in the country to assess the safety, efficacy and recommendations of vaccines. It's actually the best way it's done anywhere in the world. You have parents, doctors, immunologists, scientists, public health people, industry, as an observer, all involved in that committee. So you get the best possible information and the best possible recommendations. That's what leads to our childhood vaccine schedule. And that's the body that needs to assess and recommend on this vaccine.
0: Tom, you have a new report out talking about how to monitor COVID-19, and you have a lot of different metrics for it. And it seems to suggest that even if we were to have a vaccine that had been distributed, we would still need to be continuing to monitor COVID to kind of keep controlling the situation. Can you just unpack this a little bit? What's the most important thing from your perspective in this report for long-term analysis?
1: We do not have in the United States a clear view of what the risk is in each state and community and of how well each state and community are responding. It was actually shocking to see that we looked at every state's dashboard. And more than half of essential information is missing from every state in the country. And for most states, about four-fifths of the essential information is missing. That includes information on race, ethnicity trends over time. That includes information on the risk that there is a new resurgence. That includes information on how well we're doing testing and tracing. With a focus on numbers like the total number of tests taken, we're losing sight of Are tests being done in the right way at the right time with the right actions being taken for positive results?
0: Tom, final question for you. If there is a vaccine, whether that be in December or January or February, and you can get it at your local Walgreens, will you take it?
1: I think if there's enough vaccine to provide for essential workers and particularly healthcare workers first, and it's demonstrated to be safe and effective, I'd be delighted to get vaccinated.
0: Tom Frieden, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Welcome back. What we're watching for is exactly when CEOs of Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google will testify in front of Congress. The hearing had been scheduled for this coming Monday, but late last night, Axios scooped that it'll be delayed by at least a week because of timing conflicts with the memorial service for Representative John Lewis. I asked Axios's Ashley Gold if the delay will have any impact on the hearing beyond just messing up tech reporter calendars and also why Microsoft wasn't invited to participate.
2: It's not going to have an impact on what the lawmakers ask, how they organize the hearing and the importance that the lawmakers think of the hearing. However, it is going to take a little more wind out of the sails, might change the vibe a bit. A lot of people are wondering why Microsoft has dodged antitrust scrutiny in the past couple of years, and I think the answer is really just they're an older company than these newer advertising-based companies. Microsoft doesn't rely on digital advertising that they target based on the information that they gather from their users. Nobody is thinking, what is Microsoft doing with my data? It's just not something, if you're using Microsoft Office Suite, that really comes up. And the company got to learn a lot of lessons in the 1990s with their antitrust suit. They learned to work with rivals. They became a more mature company. And as the social media giants took over, they just had a different DNA. And it's, it's kind of shielded them from today's conversation.
0: Today, we're also watching Goldman Sachs, which has settled a key part of its massive fraud scandal with the country of Malaysia, in which some now former Goldman Sachs bankers had been accused of helping Malaysian financier Joe Lowe steal from the country's sovereign wealth fund. Under terms of the deal, Goldman will pay Malaysia $2.5 billion in cash, plus guarantee Malaysia receive at least $1.4 billion from international asset seizures. Why it matters is that this deal sets Goldman up to settle with U.S. authorities. As for Joe Lowe, well, he's still at large. Finally, you'll have to wait a bit longer to go to the movies. AMC, the nation's largest cinema chain, has pushed back reopening plans. It had planned to have most of its North American locations open by the end of July, but now that's mid to late August, subject to change again, of course. Don't worry, we will all get to see Tenet somehow, somewhere, eventually. For today, we're done. Big thanks for listening, and to my producers Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Tequila Day, and we'll be back on Monday with another Axios Recap.